Luke 24, 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but He has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered His words. And returning from the tomb, they told all the things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanne and Mary the mother of James and the other women with whom, uh, with, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that today you would give clarity, you would give remembrance, and Lord, I pray if there is someone here who doesn't know you, you would give revelation. That you are the Savior of the world. And that your sacrifice, your death, and your burial, and your resurrection, your penalty that you paid for us on the cross, and your victory in raising yourself from the dead is sufficient for eternal life. May we remember that, or may that be revealed to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the believers who had seen the risen Christ, who had seen this, with their own eyes, they, they, were, they, were, they either were able to touch Him or they were able to see Him. You can imagine they spent the remainder of their lives talking about the resurrection. Now I'm sure that all of the apostles and all of the believers that, that, that were alive then, they, they spent their time preaching on the crucifixion and propitiation of sin and, and the, the central hinges of the Gospel message, but... But the message of the cross was not the controversial thing that they were preaching. If you even go through the New Testament, the the fact that Jesus died on a cross was nothing that was earth-shattering to anyone. Them preaching Him dying on a cross would be like us talking about someone dying in a car accident. It's common. Crucifixion was a common form of, of punishment back then. What was so controversial... What was so deemed evil and what cost them ultimately a martyr's death was the fact that they pre-preached Christ resurrected. And they were willing, and some did, lose their lives for it. The sermons in, in the book of Acts are filled with the resurrection. Showing over and over and over what it means to follow Christ And no one debated that Jesus died. 
But the Jews of the time vehemently refused to believe that he rose three days later. And if you remember, several weeks ago, Pastor Justin shared with us swoon theories and different theories about uh, how Jesus actually died. They were, they, were, they were made up so that people wouldn't believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So the Jews, they were not offended by those two pieces of wood crossed on a hillside. They were offended by this morning's empty tomb. That's what they were offended at. The largest stumbling block, and in fact the boulder that needs to be removed in most people's lives, is the resurrection itself. The largest stumbling block is that removal of that stone from that grave and an empty grave. People just struggle with the resurrection. When he rose from the grave against all that Satan, all of his lies and all of his schemes, he guaranteed for us, that resurrection guaranteed for us some of the greatest realities. The greatest realities. 2,000 years later, the resurrection still preaches God's relentless commitment to win every victory for us. Now, you could spend a lot of time. I'm not going to wow you today. You're not going to walk away going, man, I learned amazing things about the resurrection today. You can, you can read every good biblical scholar. You'll find all kinds of authors and preachers who have all kinds of great things to say about the resurrection, most of which I agree with. Ten things the resurrection guarantees us. Seven promises of the resurrection. Five things every Christian needs to remember about the resurrection. So on and so on. You can find them on Desiring God website or Grace to You or wherever you find your good biblical teaching. But today, and because I am quite ADHD, I'm going to just stay... <laughs> Amen, sister. We're going to stick with three things that we really should grasp from this resurrection. Believer, unbeliever, this message is for you today. Because it's, it's, it's a reminder for some. It's a reinvigoration for some. And hopefully, as I prayed, it's a revelation for some. So this week, what we want to see is three things. The defeat of death. These are really important things. The defeat of death. The purchase promise. And a perfect plan. These are the three things. So if you're taking notes and you want to take notes, if you would, go to Acts chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Satan conspires with Judas, Pilate, the Jewish leaders, to kill the author of life. But God raises him from the dead. Peter says in his sermon in Acts chapter 3, if I can draw your attention to that text, and he's preaching to the Jews, and he's preaching, and he says, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. 
To this, we are witnesses. He's even reminding some of the Jews in the crowd, you even know that this is true. You even know it's true. Jesus rose to prove that he had defeated death. Until he rose, death seemed to swallow up every ounce of life and hope from generation after generation. Romans would remind us that the wages of sin is death in Romans chapter 6. And and how do we escape death? Because in Romans chapter 10, it says that none is righteous. None of us. None of us are worthy. But God promised everlasting life. Centuries before, at the beginning of time, before the creation of man, But the resurrection revealed that to us. It solidified it. It promised it. It defeated death. Though many had lived and believed and died before Him, Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. Look at the letter Paul writes to the church in Colossae. If you'll turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Paul's reminding the church in Colossae of this amazing thing. He's trying to, again, reinvigorate, remind, or reveal the truth of the resurrection. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, he says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. And here, listen to this. The firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent so think about that statement for a second we love to just run by that and say he's the firstborn of the dead if he's the firstborn of the dead that means that there will be others you and me who believe in him so if he's the firstborn of the dead then that means that we get to be the second third and 40 millionth born of the dead God means for us to follow Him in resurrection. That death is defeated. Death is no more. The death of a physical shell still happens. Most of us here, depending on our ages, have stood by someone's deathbed at some point. If you haven't, you probably will, unless the Lord comes quicklier than we would like Him to come. We will be resurrected just as He was resurrected. Death has no more sting. We just sang about it. Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus rose to prove the Old Testament promises. That that the warnings of the prophets and the proclamation as Pastor Justin just read to us were true. Those promises are true. They've always been the lifeline of hope for us and for the world. For those living under this supreme death penalty, and by the way, that's everyone breathing on the planet. Jesus' death defeats death. But His resurrection defeats death ultimately. His resurrection, Him bringing Himself back to life, it bought some promises for us. It, it, it was the 
the, the final payment, the final rendering. Look at Acts chapter 10, if you would. Go with me to Acts chapter 10. We'll spend a minute here in Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 39 through 43. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So this promise that was purchased through this death and this sacrificial death, this burial and this resurrection, it's promised. The promise is simply too good to be true. So they say, until we see God raise Jesus from the dead. Suddenly, what seemed to be impossible to man was wonderfully possible. The resurrection put to death, death. This should excite us. This should excite us tremendously. This should excite us as we approach the, the anniversaries of, of, of loved ones who knew the Lord as, as those anniversaries of their deaths or anniversaries of their birth come, come into our lives. I used to, I, I, I have to be honest with you, at the first year that my father died, the, the anniversary of his, of his death, I was so down in the dumps. It was, a da- it, was a, it was a bad day. The second year came around and God had refreshed me and reminded me of the resurrection that will take place. That he is not gasping for air in his bed anymore. That he is at the feet of Jesus, casting crowns there. This is a promise that is too good to be true for some. The other promise that is too good to be true is that all my sins are forgiven. All of them. Clearly he doesn't know what I've done. While the Apostle Paul was waiting in Athens, he he. he he preached this in Acts chapter 17. You don't have to turn there. It's Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all. By what? By raising Him from the dead. Didn't say repent of some of your sin, but that all of your sin. Jesus rose to prove that He would one day judge all sin. Let us not leave out the tough part. Easter is the happy, happy day and we celebrate the, the, risen, the, the, the risen Christ. But we also have to remember that we have a God that will judge sin. 
And He will judge it fairly, righteously, and justice. And so you can be presented on that day yourself with your own righteousness, which we just established in Romans was unrighteousness, or you can be presented on that day and be seen through the righteousness of Jesus. You can be counted as perfect because of Christ. Jesus rose to prove that one day He's going to judge sin. And everyone has sinned. Therefore, everyone needs to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. It will all be wiped away. When God raised Jesus from the dead, He made clear that every sin must be punished. He, he made that really clear with the cross and He made it evidently clear with the resurrection. On the cross, it was the payment, a reminder of the judgment, a reminder of His righteousness. And the resurrection, a reminder of His mercy and His grace and His willingness to take His enemy and adopt them into His family and make them His child. So if you are alive with Christ, there is now no condemnation for you, uh, Romans 8 tells us. And no sin against you will be overlooked and excused by God. But Christ paid for those sins. God will restore everything wrong or broken right in front of you on that day. The Apostle Peter calls his fellow Jews to Jesus. And he says to them in Acts chapter 3, we'll continue in Acts chapter 3 if you'll look at verses 19 through 21 in Acts chapter 3 if you're still hanging out in Acts chapter 3. He's preaching again to his Jewish brothers and he says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus. He reminds them, the Christ is Jesus. The Christ that has been talked about in Isaiah. The Christ that has been talked about by the prophets is Jesus. He says, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Peter seems to be begging his Jewish friends, do you not see It's almost as if he's begging God to reveal to them, you've been reading about Jesus this whole time. Jesus rose to prove that he would eventually return and make things right. His resurrection destroyed death, purchased the promise. The last year or so has provided evidence that we live in a broken world if 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 you haven't figured that out before 2020 2020 should let you know we live in a broken world and this easter is just another statement that our hope is alive in christ Not the direction of politics, not the direction or the futures of countries, not the rising and falling of empires. The world 
will be rid of sin, including all its causes and consequences in God's wise, loving plan. That day's not today. That day's coming. Now, I could be wrong, so if Jesus comes back while we're at lunch today, don't say, oh, you told me it wasn't today. The best of my knowledge, it's not today, but it could be. Hallelujah. I hope you don't get to finish lunch and we get to go right to the big dinner. Jesus was the promised Messiah of Israel. Peter strained to get the Jews to see it. He goes on, he says, I stand here testifying both to the small and the great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Sorry, that was Paul. Oh, they just pled and pled and pled for revelation. Jesus rose to prove that God had chosen His people from everywhere in the world. The evidence is clear because Peter and Paul both beg and beg and beg the Jews to even come to Christ. Not only from Israel, Asia, Africa, America too. His blood is sufficient to purchase people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, every people group. His death is not only reconciles us to God, here's the beautiful thing. And here's the relevant thing that we should really grasp today. His death not only reconciles us to God, but it reconciles us to each other who believe. We can have peace with one another. So in our day today, where we seek to make peace between dead men and dead men, we are fighting a losing battle. We must preach the peace of Christ that they would come into the family of God and be reconciled with the family of God. Oh church, hear me. We have to stop trying to reconcile dead people to dead people. But bring people to life through the Holy Spirit, through the saving power of Jesus Christ, through the power of the resurrection. That way they will have peace with one another. So His death reconciles us not only to God, it reconciles us to one another. These inconceivable boundaries, these impassable boundaries, but they can be surpassed because of His resurrection. His resurrection was powerful enough to hold out hope for every person who will believe. And that leaves us with His perfect plan. No evil can disrupt God's plan for you. Hear me. No evil can disrupt God's plan for you. No evil you can do and no evil that can be done to you can disrupt God's plan for you. The death of Jesus looked like the single greatest defeat that people had ever experienced. Imagine Friday night with all the disciples Instead of a Savior who the Jews had pictured as a sword-wielding, chariot-riding person who was going to 
fly in and kick the Romans out. The death of Jesus looked like the single greatest defeat that people had ever experienced. Instead of ascending to a throne and conquering the enemies that were amid the people of Jerusalem and amid the the people of God, the promised king had been humiliated and crucified. And at the precise moment when it looked like evil had won, when it looked like evil got the victory, God was wielding every ounce of wickedness to accomplish a great victory. What Satan thought could stop it only started it. As Peter continues his sermon to the Jewish officials in Acts, he says, Jesus of Nazareth delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He kind of pulls the carpet out from under the juice. He's like, this wasn't your plan. This was God's plan. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised up. Loosed the pangs of death. He defeated death. Because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. His power. Jesus rose to prove that God is sovereign. Even over the worst things that the world can throw at us, God is sovereign. And His Word is true. Because all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Sometimes we like to read that a little differently. All things will work out for my good because I love God. Some of us go through really difficult things and it's not for you. It's for somebody else. It is the most selfless thing you can do. Like, die on a cross when you're perfect. Pay the penalty for someone else's sin. And take their place when they should be punished. And then adopting them as as your own child and bringing them into your family. So there is a perfect plan in place before the foundation of the world, and it is God's plan. And Jesus rose to prove that God is sovereign over all of that. While He doesn't create evil, He certainly contains it. In the ultimate act of rebellion and injustice, God is pivoting all of history with love to save and satisfy a people he had already chosen. Some of you in here might be saying, man, I've been having this battle with the Lord my whole life. He's been, he's been chasing me. He's been after me. I'm just, I'm just not ready to give in. I'm just not ready to give in. You will give in. Because he won't give up. It's part of his plan. And you are his chosen. And you can rest your head on your pillow tonight knowing that He will continue to pursue you until you accept the call. Because He's adopting you as His child. And you might think you were His biggest enemy and you are His biggest target. God has a perfect plan for you. He's proven time and time again that He won't let evil triumph. 
Believer. I'll close with this. If you're a believer in here and you trusted Jesus and you believe Him and He is your Savior, rest in these truths today. Be invigorated, reinvigorated. Be excited that death has been defeated. That a promise has been purchased for you. Be satisfied that the raising of Jesus on Easter Sunday, as promised, is to work all things into His perfect plan. Easter has promised to work all things according to His plan. His plan triumphs. There is a plan that has been fashioned from the foundation of the world, particularly for you. Unbeliever. I can say all of those same things. Today is the day of salvation. For some of our believing friends, it has been revelation, it has been, remem- it has been remembrance. I mean, it has been uh, reinvigoration and it has been remembrance. But for you, I pray today it's revelation. I pray God has revealed Himself to you enough today that today will be the day of salvation. The day that you accept these truths, that you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you stop trying to do it on your own. That that chasing is no longer running from His arms, but to His arms. Note that there's always running involved. (laughs) Believe and rest in the work of Christ done on your behalf for you because He loved you. Be clothed in His righteousness so that on that day, we talked about, on that day, when He looks down with with the coming judgment, He will see you robed in the robes of His Son and not yourself. We're going to sing a song. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as i at the cross at the cross where i first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith i received my sight And now, I'm happy all the day. Let's go back to our original text, if you would. Go back to Luke, chapter 24. We're going to look specifically at verse 5 through 8. And I'm going to close with this. I know I said I was closing 10 minutes ago. I actually am closing. Luke 24, verses 5 through 8. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you why he was still in Galilee? 
that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Verse 8, And they remembered His words. Some of you have heard these words over and over in your life. Remember them. And if they need to bring revelation to you, I pray it does. If they need to bring reinvigoration to you, I pray they do. But at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would take your word that it would not return void as you promised. Thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross. Thank you that in the midst of my continual stumbling and falling, you have made me righteous before a holy God through my faith in you. Lord, may I rest in that, not take advantage of it, not use it as an excuse to sin, but use it as a propellant for holiness that I might honor and please You. And Lord, I, I pray, maybe there's someone in here who's seven or pushing 70. It doesn't matter. Have them no longer feel chased by You. May they turn and run to You as their Father. As their Abba Father. I thank You and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.